Thanks, Rosie. Cool. It's good to see you guys tonight. Um, if I haven't met you before, my name's Tim. Um, we're just going to do a talk, have, share a message for about half an hour or so, and then we're going to have a communion together and then, then sing some more songs. So you can sort of make yourself comfortable. Um, sometimes people take notes, or you might want to follow along in your Bible or your Bible app or something like that as well. Um, we're actually in the middle of a series that we've been doing over the last couple of weeks. We've had a couple of different weeks. Two weeks ago, we had a, a combined service outside. Um, but Dave actually shared the first in this series. It's called The Spirit and the Mission. And this is, is based around what is the mission of, of the church, uh, not just like rivers, but of the body of Christ. Like what is God's plan for the church? What's the goal? What's the mission? But also within that, that this mission is not something we do by ourselves, but we've actually been given God's spirit. That Jesus, when he left, he, he left with us with the gift of his spirit and his presence to fulfill this mission. So we're sort of talking about that. And Dave, Dave shared at that combined service about Jesus' compassion for people and how Jesus was with people and he was, he was present. He, he demonstrated power. He proclaimed the truth about God and that we get to follow and live as Jesus' apprentice as well with that same compassion. Last, last week, um, Adam James came to share. He, he um, just told his story um, and, and this amazing story of God just transforming his life through his brokenness, through his adversary, uh, adversity and um, God actually being able to use that to fulfill the mission of the kingdom and, and God meeting people through Adam and God breaking in in amazing ways. So, so that was his story just to inspire us that God is working and God is working through people and God works through people who are broken and afraid and, and with issues and God redeems that and, and uses that and that, that's who he is. And this week, I want to get a bit more or practical, kind of, we're going to kind of start really theoretical and, and big, and by the end today, kind of get really practical and, and detailed and small about, like, what is this mission? Like, like we talk about mission, and, and we can use that word, and that can mean lots of different things in different contexts. What I want to do is kind of look at what's a really big picture definition of mission and the mission, and then get smaller and smaller and smaller into what are some really practical things we could even do this week to start to live this out. So if you kind of think like a big funnel, that's kind of where we're going today. I want to read just a passage from Luke 24 just to start with, because this is, Jesus starts to talk about this here. There's a few different ways he talks about it, but this is, this is a key one. After Jesus has suffered and died, he's alive again, and he starts to talk about this. This is what he says in Luke 24. Sorry, Jazz. Can you? That's right. Cool, that's it. So Jesus said to his followers, his disciples, he said, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that was written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. So all the Bible before Jesus, it was all about Jesus. And the Bible's a story that's all about Jesus, about him coming, and now he's come about what's happening after that. He says, he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them this, this is what was, was written. The Messiah, so the Savior of the world, will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city till you've been clothed with power from on high. So this is like, this is the point, right? Like, like Jesus has died and his death wasn't a tragedy. It was actually through his death that he's brought in this new reality that there's forgiveness of sins, 
There's actually this good news about who Jesus is. And, and this is like the foundation of, of the church, Jesus' death and resurrection. He's alive. And then he gives them a mission. But he doesn't give them this mission like, okay, you just go change the world now. No, he, he, he tells them to wait for the promise of the Spirit. But they don't do this alone. There's not this big burden that's on these followers. He actually equips them and empowers them with his presence to do this. And this is the spreading of good news. There's this good news that's available because Jesus actually is the Savior of the world. He died and he actually is alive. He actually is the true King. He's the true Lord. And I want to show you a video that just summarizes this, this message, this good news. And that's basically what the mission is. It's that because of what Jesus has done, there is good news. And, and God's desire is that everybody knows, that all the nations know, that everyone knows the truth that, of what Jesus has accomplished and what Jesus has done. So that, that should be good to go. I'll click this. Hopefully, if you guys got the sound there, and we'll watch this video. It goes about four minutes. It's called The Gospel of the Kingdom. There's this beautiful poem. It's in the book of Isaiah. The city of Jerusalem has just been destroyed by Babylon, a great kingdom in the north. And all of these Jewish people, they've been sent away into exile, but a few remained in the city. And they're left wondering, what just happened? Has our God abandoned us? Right, because Jerusalem was supposed to be the city where God would reign over the world to bring peace and blessing to everyone. Now Isaiah had been saying that Jerusalem's destruction was a mess of Israel's own making. They had turned away from their God, become corrupt, and so their city and their temple were destroyed. Yeah, everything seems lost. But the poem goes on. There's a watchman on the city walls. And far out on the hills we see a messenger and he's running towards the city. He's running and he's shouting, good news! And Isaiah says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Beautiful feet? Yes. The feet are beautiful because they're carrying a beautiful message. What's the message? That despite Jerusalem's destruction, Israel's God still reigns as king, and that God himself is going to one day return to this city, take up his throne, and bring peace. And the watchmen sing for joy because of the good news that their God still reigns. Now in the New Testament, we find this same phrase, the good news. It's the Greek word euangelion, and it's also sometimes translated with the word gospel. Yeah, so when Christians say, do you believe the gospel, they mean, do you believe the news? But not just any news. In the Bible, this phrase is always about the announcement of the reign of a new king. And in the New Testament, the Gospels use this phrase to summarize all of Jesus' teachings. They say that he went about proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom. So Jesus saw himself as the messenger, bringing the news that God reigns. Yes, but the way that he described God's reign, it surprised everybody. I mean, think, a powerful, successful kingdom. It needs to be strong, able to impose its will, able to defeat its enemies. But Jesus said the greatest person in God's kingdom was the weakest, the one who loves and who serves the poor. And he said that you live under God's reign when you respond to evil by loving your enemies and forgiving them and seeking peace. This is an upside-down kingdom. Now Jesus also said that this kingdom was arriving with him. Yeah, so for example, there's this really interesting story where there's a high-ranking Roman officer and he comes to Jesus begging him to heal his servant. And he even calls Jesus his Lord, acknowledging that Jesus is his authority. 
Jesus praises this man for recognizing what no one else yet had, that not only was Jesus announcing God's kingdom, he was the king. And so the word gets out that this Jewish man from Galilee is talking and acting like he's the king of Israel. He's appointing 12 disciples, which are an image of Israel's 12 tribes. He's healing people, forgiving people their sins. And all of this so threatened Israel's leaders that they finally decide to have him killed. And Jesus let them. Yeah, which is a weird thing to do if you're trying to become king. That's right, but for Jesus, this is what had to happen. Jesus saw the sin and the devastation of his people Israel as just one small part of the entire human condition. How all humanity has rebelled against God, resulting in the tragedy and devastation of our whole world. And so how is God going to bring his reign over such a world? Jesus believed it would be through an act of sacrificial love for his enemies. This is why in the Gospels, Jesus' crucifixion is depicted as his enthronement as the king of the Jews. Yeah, he receives a crown. He also receives a robe. He's exalted up, not onto a throne, but onto the cross. How beautiful are the feet that bring good news. And the good news now is that Jesus has defeated death and that he reigns as king, that he's dealt with our sin and corruption himself and that he's conquered it with his life and with his love. And then Jesus sends his followers to go out and keep announcing this good news of the upside down kingdom. And to invite everyone to give their allegiance to him, the king who defeated death with his love. Thanks for watching this channel. We do this That's because... Good. Awesome. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, if you haven't seen any of them before, it's from the Bible Project. There's some really great videos online. If you just search that website, bibleproject.com, they just like summarize books of the Bible, key themes of the Bible, things like that. Um, but that, I thought that just so summarizes this, this good news. There's good news because of Jesus. He's, he's died, he's risen. And the foundation right, of, of the church, of our community, is that truth. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is actually the one who's in charge of everything. His kingdom is actually the true reality, that, that there's forgiveness, there's life. God is real, and we're a community that lives and dwells in that and gets to spread that to the world. In the New Testament, um, the church is even described as Jesus' body, that, that Jesus has come to rescue and to restore, and now we're his body and we've been given his spirit to keep going with that work of spreading this good news. But then what does that actually look like? Like, how do we do that? Because sometimes we hear stuff like, it's like, just go out into the world and just, just tell everybody. And sometimes that's overwhelming. And sometimes there's like, well, no, we need to be connected to God and we need to develop ourselves first. But then we kind of sometimes don't go. And there's this sort of balance. And, and sometimes we think the mission is just to go and tell people. But it's actually more than that. It's actually got these three dynamics, which we actually have. This is sort of our mission statement in our church, is that we know, seek to be knowing God growing together and going. And this is actually all the mission. It's, it, this, is, this is incorporated. This is how we do it. That in order, before we can actually go and spread this good news, we need to know God. We need to be growing with Him and trusting Him. And that this is not an individual thing, but it's a community, that we're a community that, that seeks to love each other and serve and live in this new reality with Jesus as Lord. And, and we do that together. And then we take it to the world, that we're not just this community that's cut off from the world, but the actual message of good news gets, needs to be spread 
out. And these things are actually held in tension. And you might kind of have preference for one of them. Sometimes people are just really excited about going and, and, and spreading the message and just want to be out in the community telling people. Other people are really excited just about seeking God personally and, and in prayer and in worship. Other people just love fellowship and, and, and connection and small groups and stuff. And you might have a strength and a preference, which is good because the, the analogy of the body is that there's different parts and some parts are better at certain things. But the, the problem is when these things start getting played off against each other. When we say, well, we don't need to know and grow, we just need to go. We don't need to go, we, need to, we really need to know God first. No, the truth is these are intention and we need all of them. That there's this upward dynamic that our community needs to have. There's this inward dynamic and there's this outward dynamic. And they all have to be there in order for this mission into the world to be successful. What I want to do then, from sort of keep narrowing down a bit, is just take this last one, this idea of going, and how do we actually do that? And what does the New Testament seem to indicate that looks like? Because maybe if you've been in church for a while, often you might have been told, just go out and preach to people. Just, just go up and, and, and share the gospel with people. Just, just try and convert people. And, and sometimes that can be good, sometimes that can be really bad as well. Sometimes that can just lead to a whole lot of pressure. The interesting thing I want to share with you tonight, it's from this book. It's called Surprise the World by a guy named Michael Frost. And he shares this slightly different approach that takes from the New Testament to this mission of evangelism or, or sharing the good news with people who don't believe. And says, in the church, the actual strategy is this two-pronged approach. There's actually two approaches that we use together that we see in the New Testament. One approach is that there's people in the church who are what we call evangelists. So again, it's that word good news. So there's people who have been gifted, their gift to our community, and they've been gifted by God with this, this passion and this ability to preach and to tell people this good news about Jesus, that they can declare it, they can talk about it, they can get up in front of people, they can get up at schools or youth group, and, or they can just get in conversations with people and they just tell people, there's this gift of an evangelist, and that this is a gift to the community. But sometimes we've been told that everybody is supposed to be like that, but it doesn't seem like that in the New Testament, that there's evangelists, but everyone is still has a, has a burden and a responsibility to share this message, but it will look different. I want to share with you some verses from Colossians. This is what Paul is speaking to the church in Colossians. It's towards the end of the letter. He says this to them. He says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. So the first thing is like everyone pray. Like this, this will only work if we pray. We, this will only work with God. We must pray. He says, pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So Paul, who is an evangelist, Paul who's got this gift, Paul who goes around all different towns and cities and, and tells this good news about Jesus, he says to this church, pray for me. Pray that I will have opportunity to tell people this good news. Pray that I'll be bold even though I'm suffering, even though I'm in jail, pray that I'll have confidence. That's what he wants them to pray for him. But the interesting thing is he doesn't tell them to pray that for themselves. He says something different. This is what he says they're to do. He says, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everybody. Paul doesn't say you are to, pr to pray for boldness to proclaim and to preach. He says, you are to be wise in your relationships with people who are not a part of the church, which means there are to be relationships there. 
and that there's to be conversations that are full of grace. That there's this to be this different kind of life that's noticeable that leads to questions so that then you can answer people. So he says so this, he doesn't want them to go around preaching really strong. He wants them to share the message, but not in this bold proclamation, but by living different lives connected to people outside that brings about questions. This is in 1 Peter as well. 1 Peter 3 says this, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks, asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. So he wants them to live lives right, that are full of hope, that are different, that, that people can't speak against them because they're, they're living these, these lives um, uh, where, where they have clear conscience, there's this purity, and there's this hope that will lead to questions. People say, what's going on? Like, why, why do you have this hope? Like, what, what's, what's different about you? What do you? Why do you go to church? Like, and when that happens, there's this ability to give gracious answers and share the good news. So it's still sharing the good news. There's still this, this need to share, but it looks different to the method of the evangelist. And actually, the New Testament needs both. Um, I was thinking this week about this, like something like Red Frog, some of you guys have done before. That this is, that's what this is like, right? Like people go to schoolies and just serve and help, make pancakes, clean up after kids. And they will always ask, like, why do you guys do this? Like, why would you pay to come to the coast and, and look after us and care for us? And then this opportunity to give the answer and the reason, well, we believe Jesus. Jesus loves you. And we get to share the good news. This is what Michael Frost says kind of to summarize this. He says this, To fulfill the evangelistic mandate that Paul and Peter and the gospel present us with, we need to be propelled outward into the lives of our neighbors, but also upward into deeper intimacy with Jesus. So these things are not to be played off with each other. We need both. There's this tension. He said this isn't merely an individual challenge, Indeed, Paul seems to suggest that we fulfill our evangelistic mandate collectively, so we do it as a community, as we move inward into a self-consciously Christian community, acknowledging the evangelists we've been gifted with and the responsibility to live questionable lives that we've been invested with. So it's this, this two-pronged approach. There's the evangelists who can proclaim strongly, and there's everybody in the community living lives not just away in the Christian community, but in the world, in the society, in such a way that leads to people asking questions and there's ways to give gracious answers. There's this, this two-pronged approach. What I want to do now is take that second one, believers living questionable lives, giving gracious answers, and say, well, what would that actually look like? Like, how could we actually start to do that practically? And in this book, what he says is that we are to live as generous, hospitable Spirit-led, Christ-like missionaries. These five values that reflect the kingdom, that reflect this new reality with the truth of Jesus. But sometimes like we talk about values or we talk about ideas and, and it's easy to be like, oh, being generous, yeah, that sounds good. Hospitable, that sounds good. Spirit-led. But they sometimes don't make a difference to our lives. Like, like everyone agrees that we should be generous. But sometimes we don't know how to, to change and become generous. We should, should be hospitable, but how do we actually do that? And what he says is that the way to do it is actually by focusing not primarily on what we believe, but actually how we behave and actually shifting and changing our habits. So what I want to say, this is getting really practical now, is how can we live 
generous, hospitable, spirit-led, Christ-like missionary lives, there's this model that I want to just share with you called the BELLS model of missional living. So BELLS stands for Bless, Eat, Listen, Learn, Sent. And this, is, this has been really helpful for me recently because it, it summarizes these big things down to really practical, small things. And it holds this tension of knowing, growing, going, of out, up, in, that we need all of it to be able to live these sort of lives and, and, and continue this mission. So I'm going to go through these five, kind of quickly give you some, some commentary as we go through, and then, then that's pretty much it for tonight. So first one is bless. So we actually develop a habit of being people who bless others. And what he says to do is to bless three people a week, one who's part of your church community, one who's not, and then the other one's like a wild card free choice, you pick one or the other. All right? Like, so bless three people. And again, this is not like, oh, you have to bless three people. It's, this is about developing a habit. And many of you might even already have this habit, right? Like many of you already just naturally go about your life, you bless people. And, and that might be sending an encouraging message to someone. It might be giving someone a gift. It might be just helping someone with a job. It might be praying for someone. It might, whatever it is that, that they feel blessed, that they feel encouraged and strengthened and built up. Um, and, and that this is not just so that then we can try and convert someone, but it's actually that God is a God who loves and blesses and, and the church is to be the, the light of the world and to share the love of Jesus and to actually bless people is to reflect that. And to actually bless someone, even if you don't tell them about Jesus, you're still announcing the good news of Jesus just through your action. And there's this interesting study in, the, in this book that he talks about that people went, there was two mission trips overseas um, and one group went to try and convert as many people as they could. They're trying to preach to people, they're trying to tell people about Jesus and, and help them to believe in Jesus. Another group went to bless as many people as they could, just to help, to, to assist, to encourage, to build up as many people as they could. The interesting thing was the group that actually went to bless had more opportunities to tell people about Jesus and more success, whereas the group that just went to try and convert didn't. And it was this interesting, I think, and it wasn't that they're going to bless in order to convert, but in, in blessing... In announcing and being generous, it leads to these questions, which leads to opportunities to share this hope and this good news. So the first habit is bless. The second habit is eat. And what he says to do is, is seek to eat with three people a week. One part of the church, one part of the community somewhere not part of a church, and another one free choice. And this is this idea that actually life and relationships happen so much around a table. When we sit down to eat with each other, it kind of breaks down some of the barriers. There's this level playing field. Life starts to be shared. Connections start to be formed. And really, church, especially the New Testament, was really based around a table. Like people came together. They called them love feasts. Came together for meals. They came to eat together and, and fellowship together and do life together. And, and um, it's such an important value, this hospitality. And the same way, by eating with people who are not part of the church, it leads to these connections and opportunities to share and to give the good news as well. So the second is eat. The third habit to develop is listen, to seek to be spirit-led. And he just talks about this idea that to do this mission, like this is not easy, right? Like this is significant, this is hard, there's tension, there's, there's struggle, it's not black and white. 
and we actually really need the Spirit and actually need to be led by the Spirit. So the habit to help develop that is to spend some time each week, maybe 10 minutes, maybe half an hour, just sitting with God and listening. Sitting in stillness and quiet and developing a habit of listening to the Spirit. Again, if, you, if you're already really good at listening to the Spirit, maybe you don't need to develop that habit. Maybe you already have a different habit. But if not, that could be a place to start. He said because this is, there's a narrow path that we have to walk to do this. On the two extremes, there's like the extremes of either end. On one extreme, there's going and, and seeking to try and reach the world, the community, people outside of Jesus. And it sometimes happens that trying to reach them, they actually reach us, and we actually end up taking on more of their habits and characteristics and lifestyle than actually reaching them with ours. And it's sometimes maybe that we sort of want to be able to be missionaries, but then we just sort of take on the same um, values, the same lifestyle, which might be drunkenness, gossip, they're just examples he gives, and we just become like the world. But then sometimes you think, well, we don't want that to happen, and we go to the other extreme of just sort of being stuck in the church. And we kind of can think that we're safe and that there's no sin here, but then there's these religious sins that can be judgmentalism or, or religiousness or self-righteousness. And, and we can be guilty of those as well. There's actually, like going to the extremes is actually not the answer, but there is a safety in the extremes. Life is kind of easier in the extremes, but to walk the narrow middle path is hard. And we need the Spirit. We need God. This is what he says. I'll read you this quote. He says, Truly missional Christians aren't happy to be at either end of that spectrum. And yet, the rules associated with either end of the spectrum are much easier to figure out. We get what total withdrawal from social settings with unbelievers looks like. We know what it's like to spend all our time with fellow believers. It's, it's easy to spend all our time just hanging around church People, and I'm massively guilty of that. I find it incredibly hard to get out of, out of church and to, to be with other people who are outside of it. It's easy to get pulled in. Likewise, it's easy to simply go with the flow and just fit in socially with our neighbors and look no different from them. Total withdrawal and total capitulation both make sense. It's far trickier to work out the balance or the tension between withdrawal and engagement. Trying to figure out how to sit somewhere in the middle, a godly, intriguing, socially adventurous, joyous presence in the lives of others is tough. I don't think we're clever enough on our own to find that balance. That's where the missional voice of the Spirit comes in. His promptings help us adjust our stance. So he's saying the, way, the only way to really walk that middle line, that creative tension, to not go to the extremes, is by God's power, by the Spirit by walking and listening and following him. Fourthly, is learn. This is, we seek to be learning to be like Jesus. That we view ourselves as disciples of Jesus. That we seek to know him and grow with him and, and um, live according to him. This is what C.S. Lewis says about this. That this is actually what church is about. This is what our community is about, is about Jesus. He says, in the same way, the church exists for nothing else but to draw people into Christ, to make them little Christ. If they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself, are simply a waste of time. He says, God became man for no other purpose. It is even doubtful, you know, whether the whole universe was created for any other purpose. It says in the Bible that the whole universe was made for Christ 
and that everything is to be gathered together in Him. And he says the way to do this then is to spend time learning more about Jesus. Spend time reading the Gospels. Spend time on the Bible Project, like watching some videos about the Gospels or something, something like that. Watch a Jesus video, but, but devote ourselves to learning Jesus and his life and his character and his heart, that we seek to be like him. Sometimes when we think even about like discipleship, like sometimes we think to be discipled is just that we sit back and we just want someone to build into us and tell us what to do. But really, to be a disciple is to be a learner. And we say, well, I'm going to learn Jesus. It's actually on me to, to take myself and say, I want to follow Jesus. I'm going to look at people that are following Jesus. I'm going to look at Jesus' life and seek to follow him and learn Christ. Last one is sent. Then that we view ourselves as missionaries. And again, this is not that it's like going and having to boldly proclaim, although that's, there will be some and that's good. We need those people. But for everybody, even if that's not you, to see yourself as sent in your workplace, in your family, in your home, wherever you are, that you are sent with good news of the kingdom, good news of Jesus. This actually can be the key in, in able to navigate this tension of how do we be connected but still different? How do we not be sucked in but still faithful? And this is what Julia Cameron says about that. The way to avoid these two mistakes is to engage in mission. We are sent into the world as Christ's representatives. So we can neither confirm to it, conform to it, or we cease to represent him, or withdraw from it, and we have no one to represent him to. So mission is the key. If we're, if we're around, the, if we go into the world and we just adapt to all the ways that everyone outside of Jesus is, we aren't able to achieve the mission. If we just stay stuck in the church and away from everything, we're not able to achieve the mission. But if we say we're missionaries, we're sent to represent Christ, to be around the world, the people, and to be able to share and tell this good news with others. So these are just some really practical habits to develop. And, and again, these are not easy. Some will come easy. Some, some might be linked in with your personality, with your style, with your values that are easy. Some will be hard. And the good thing is that the, the, the easy ones you can just enjoy and the hard ones, they, they stretch us and grow us that we can go and share this, this mission and, and follow this mission of Jesus. So we've gone really big picture tonight. Like, like the, the mission is the good news of the kingdom that we have to know God, grow, go. There's this, this three elements in tension. And to do that, living questionable lives can just start with really basic habits of blessing, eating, learning, listening, and being sent. And we're going to respond tonight by, by taking communion and, and just centering on Jesus. Again, this, this is all centered on who he is. He is the center of our community. He's ultimately the center of the world. And, and maybe you don't even ha haven't really heard this before and this is new. And, and the truth is that we get to be in this kingdom just by believing in Jesus. We, we trust him, we turn to him, and we get this forgiveness of sins. And maybe tonight even you're feeling like, well, I haven't really been doing this mission or I've been failing in this mission. I, I, I'm weak in this way. And again, we come to communion and there's forgiveness of sins because of Jesus' blood. There's grace, there's mercy. And we look and realize who God is, that God is this God of love that gave his son to save us. There's this good news that that God is alive.
and he's the true king. True reality is in him and is in love. And we get to embody that and live that this week. So as you take communion, I just encourage you to, to reflect on that. Take time to think on Jesus. And then take time to, to again commit to follow him and to, and to walk his way and to know him and to live in his kingdom. So I'm going to pray. Maybe, maybe we can get a little bit of music. Um, if you got lots of like prayer at all tonight, there'll be some people at the back and we can pray for you as well. If you believe this story about Jesus, if you believe Jesus, I encourage you to come and take communion. If you brought offering tonight, there's offering bags there as well and we can give to this mission as well. So I'm just going to pray and then we'll respond. Father, we just thank you um, just for how good you are and we just come and take a moment again to remember this good news um, that you have not left us um, in sin, Lord. You've not left us in the evil of the world, but you've actually come to save and to deliver and to restore. And, and even though it's not all finished and right, the victory is won. Jesus has done it. That, that Jesus, you've defeated evil. You've defeated and, and, and made a way for forgiveness of our sin. And even though there's still brokenness and pain in our world, the, the victory is there. And one day it will be fully achieved. One day your kingdom will come. There will be no suffering. There will be no pain. There will be no death. There will be just life with God. And Lord, we just thank you that we get to be a part of this community and this community gets to share this good news. Would you grow us in that way, we pray. So Father, would you meet us in this time now? Just speak to our hearts, Jesus, and help us to see you, your reality, your truth, your love. Would you meet us by your spirit in this time, we pray in your name, Lord.